Welcome to the IMDb Journey Podcast, where we break down every movie from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews, and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and break out the bourbon and vermouth, because we're making Manhattans tonight. And I'm Dean Jeffrey, and I would just love to talk like this, but I don't think I could fool anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and today we'll be breaking down the Billy Wilder classic, Some Like It Hot. Dean, how are you, fella? It's good to see you again, back in the studio. Good to see you too. Another week of podcasting. Another week, every week. I must say thank you for the beers you've bought tonight. You're quite welcome. I felt it was long overdue, seeing as you've supplied every other week, I think. <laughs> yeah, many supplies of beers and coffees along the way here, so it so, is good that you bring one uh, drink of Sapporo <laughs> for me today. Now we're even. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what else have you been up to, mate? Not much, mate. Just usual this week, watching movies, working. That's right. I heard you, you. I heard you went and saw Fallout without me, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I uh, saw it like an hour ago, so it was... Uh, well, we'll save that for next week. Yeah, we'll podcast. save that for next week's. Well, I will have also seen it by then. I'm going to see it this weekend, so it's going to be hopefully a good time, as I've seen and heard all around the joint. You're keeping your lips sealed, though. I mean, it's very, very well received from critics, yeah. Yeah. Are you a critic? Well, <laughs> I don't want to flatter myself, but I'm somewhat critical. Fair enough. So be sure to stick around after the breakdown where we'll be answering questions submitted by you, the listeners, and we'll find out the results of the last couple of Pod V Pod movie drafts. We'll also unveil a new bracket tournament we fixed up for all you listeners out there. So if this is your first time listening to us, hopefully you've already subscribed to us by now. If you haven't, we'd hope that you do so. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and where most other podcasts are kept, including Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, as well as our host site, Wooshka. Wooshka. Just check the show notes. <clears throat> I think my voice broke a little bit then. Just check the show notes for links to these great sites for all of our content. And to everyone out there, we really love hearing and seeing feedback from you. But also get out there and spread the word about us to everyone you know. Get them involved in the podcast too. If it helps, you could perhaps mention that this podcast does recognize that. Nobody's perfect. Another way to help get our name out there is to go ahead and leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes for us, which would hopefully help us move up the charts there for other like-minded listeners like yourselves to notice us too. So they can do the same, and we can get a nice revolving circle going on. Now, Dean, which review was your favorite for this week? So my favorite this week doesn't actually come from iTunes. It comes oh, from okay. it comes from our letterbox page. So Josephine Ulnitz has said, Great podcast. I found you guys after Billy and Topher on We Watched a Thing said they were going on your show. Oh, thank you very much, Billy and Topher. Thanks, fellas. <laughs> Great concept. We actually have a Danish podcast with four comedians who decided to take the top 250 list from the bottom and up. But unfortunately, they went into a hiatus two times and have only gotten around to doing about 20 films until now. I love realising that there is an Aussie version of that now, although you guys are more serious and analytical, but that's only a plus for a film geek. And really nice with your other features besides the top 250 movie. Greetings all the way from Denmark, from Josephine. So thanks so much, Josephine. Thank you very much, Josephine. It's a pleasure to have you on board on this journey with us. And if you want to interact with us throughout the week too, we're on Twitter at IMDB Journey. I respond to everything sent our way, and it is a great way to keep up to date with us as we regularly tweet what else we've been watching throughout the week. So you too can leave your thoughts there, and we'll read them out in the podcast as well. We're also on Letterboxd, as I've said, which is a great movie review site that everyone can get on to share their own reviews on film, make their own lists, and interact with people on there too. You can follow our podcast page at letterboxd.com slash imdbjourney, and you can follow our personal pages too, where we keep our movie diary constantly up to date and make our own lists and drop quick reviews as well. I am at dino underscore j 
88. And Hendo is at... Hendo. Hendo? Is it Hendo? It is Hendo, yeah. That's it. Letterbox.com slash Hendo. Well, well done in getting that. Thank you. <laughs> well, you couldn't get Dino? I couldn't get Dean or Dino or... So, I've gone with the underscore. And then the J and then the 88. Well, just just to be clear how old I am. <laughs> 88? Yes. One day. <laughs> All things going well. <laughs> And if you're also into Facebook, we have a page there too where we drop info about the podcast as well, and that's at facebook.com slash imdbjourney. And I'll add all these links into the show notes for this episode as well. So plenty of ways to interact with us and get involved. Give me the update. Okay, we're in a new month now, so that must mean it's time for an update. It is time for an update, and it's actually quite a small update in comparison to what we do usually. Let's have a look at the top 100 for now. I think the only change I saw was Infinity War. That has dropped yet again. It was at 15, was it? No, it was at 20. Oh. And it has dropped down to 24. Okay. So, it's really not going to go far at all. No. No. It's going to stick around that area. Yeah. Uh, moving out of the top 100 into the lower part of the list, we have a new debut into the list, and that is Mission Impossible Fallout, debuted at number 118. Not bad, not yeah. bad. Let's see how low that goes, I guess, since every other debut we get starts to drop. Yeah. We also have three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri has dropped from 134 to 139. Sherlock Jr. has gone from 160 to 166. You did say enjoy it while it lasts again, Two Incredibles 2, as it goes from 170 down to 219. So it's nearly gone. Nearly. I would expect it to be out of the list next month. Blade Runner 2049 has dropped from 212 to 217. Gangs of Wasapa has moved out of the danger zone from 249 to 239, so that's probably going to stay in there now. And in the list now is Tangerines, and out of the list is PK and the best years of our lives. So that is the update for the month of August. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Okay, before we get into our review of Some Like It Hot, please remember that this will be full-on spoilers from the get-go, so if you haven't seen the movie, please beware. So we're going to take a short break, give you a promo from our great friend Gareth over at Gareth's Random Ramblings, as well as the lads over at Films on Trial. And we'll be back on the other side with Some Like It Hot. Do you know what I hate, Bex? What's that? Movie trailers. Seriously. We go to the movies, we pay a shit ton of money to go and actually see the movie, and then I've got to wait 10-15 minutes to watch like 7 or 8 trailers for movies some of them I don't give a shit about, some of them I do, but I've seen them like 18 times on YouTube already, I don't want to see it, just play the goddamn movie! But isn't that what this is? What? Isn't this like a, you know, like a trailer for our podcast, Gareth's Random Ramblings, that we try and do every single week? That you can find on Spreaker and iTunes, or you can check out on GarrisRandomRamblings.space. You know what? I love trailers, they're the best. He's just a guy, he loves to ramble randomly across the wire, it's Gareth. Hi everyone, I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Dave. I'm Joel. And I'm Austin. And we are Films on Trial. Basically, we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. The films are suggested to us by our listeners and are then picked out of the hat at random, as are our roles. The first role is that of the defense who is trying to get the film placed on the hit list. And then there's the prosecutor who is trying to condemn the film. And most importantly, we have the judge who decides which list the film should be placed on based solely on the arguments put to them and not using their own opinion. There's also plenty of other things to keep you entertained, including some terrible songs, some poor xylophone playing, some questionable impressions, a captain contest a quiz and a whole host of banter 
So if you like the sounds of that, then why not check us out on your local podcast platform or on our website, filmsontrial.co.uk, where we will be in your ears. In the meantime, back to you, Daniel and Dean. Not since Scarface, so much action. Not since the Marx Brothers, so much comedy. Not since the seven-year itch, so much Marilyn. So, Some Like It Hot, released in 1959, starring Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis, and Jack Lemmon. Directed by Billy Wilder, who has five films in the top 250. Really? Yeah, do you know what they are? Well, I know that he's done Witness for the Prosecution and The Apartment. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not sure what the other two are. Have I seen them? I don't think you have, actually. What are they? They are Sunset Boulevard. Nope. And Double Indemnity. No, I haven't seen them. Okay, well, you, you can look forward to those on the way. Should I? I'll leave my opinions to those times. <laughs> <laughs> so this film won just the one Oscar out of its six nominations it had. It actually won for Best Costume in Black and White. Yeah, interestingly, Marilyn Monroe is one of 20 actresses who did not receive an Oscar nomination after winning Best Actress in a Comedy or Musical at the Golden Globes that year. It's also the only film of 1959 to receive a nomination for Best Director for Billy Wilder, but not Best Picture. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty rare in uh, these times. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Happens all the time. <laughs> no, not really. Um, I, uh, I, uh, I don't know. It was nominated for Best Director, but not Best Picture. The only one recently I can think of that comes to mind is Argo. Ben Affleck was nominated, but Argo wasn't. Do you mean the other way around? Oh, I do. Because Argo won Best Picture, didn't it? Did it? Yes, and Ben Affleck was not nominated for Best Director. Damn it. Shockingly. Okay. Can you think of one the right way around? Um, yeah, some like it hot. <laughs> I actually thought you had some film knowledge to drop on me there. Was that not film knowledge? No, I just told you that. <laughs> so in 2001, this was voted number one on the AFI's top 100 funniest movies of all time. Is that how it's worded, though? Funniest movies or comedy? List of 100 funniest movies of all time. I mean, I would define funniest by how often you're actually laughing out loud. Well, how do you define comedy? Well, you can have a movie that's a comedy that is clever and witty, but it's not as funny laugh out loud. Okay, yeah, I can see your point there. I feel like you can't. Do you have separate categories for funniest and comedy? No, I don't have categories at all. (laughs) (laughs) You just have movies. Yeah, it also ranked, so number one comedy, yep, whatever. Uh, it also ranked number 14 in the AFI's top 100 movies of all time. 14! What number is it on IMDb? It's actually sitting at number 118 after an average of 8.3 over 208,000 ratings. Impressive. It's no number 14. It's not. Do you know what the number 14 film is on the list at the moment? Inception. Come on, Inception. Wow, how did you pull that? <laughs> wow, really? It is indeed Inception. <laughs> yeah, boy! <laughs> That is very impressive. There you go. So this film had an estimated budget of approximately $2.9 million and got a domestic gross of $25 million. So that's that's not too bad. That's not too bad at all. It's not too bad at all. Uh, it would have been much better if Marilyn Monroe had uh, been on her best behavior. Oh, man. All the horror stories you Some hear about Some of the stuff her. you read here is just crazy. What have like, you heard? Well, she would frequently be like two to three hours late to set, sometimes not even leaving her trailer at all. She did not know her lines. In some scenes, you could actually clearly see her reading off a board off screen. Especially did you notice that as the, you were watching it? The scene where they're, talk- where they're talking on the phone towards the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can definitely see it there. I heard that it took her like 47 takes to get a three-word line correct. Yeah. And they had to write it on yeah, boards and uh, put, the, put the actual word in like the, the chest of drawers she was looking in at the oh, time. Oh, God. Like, 
I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But you can imagine how frustrating that would be for Jack Lemon and Tony Curtis, who know that they have to be perfect every single take because whatever take she finally gets it right is the take that they're going to use in the film. Of course. I also heard that they actually got like really sore feet, I guess, from standing around in the high heels all day waiting for her to get her exact line right. Yeah, it's just crazy. And it, what's weird is he's already worked with Monroe on the Seven Year Itch. And have you he, seen the Seven Year Itch? No, have you? No, I haven't. Is that the one with the dress? Yeah, the the iconic yeah, yeah. dress up. I've seen ups- that scene. <laughs> the iconic upskirts. <laughs> <gasps> the most iconic upskirts scene. <laughs> um, yeah, now, nah, reportedly, she cost production half a million dollars with all her delays and unprofessional behaviour. Yeah, I heard that she didn't get invited to the celebration dinner. I know. It's a bit rough. It's, it's a bit rough. Oh, like... For her not to get invited to the rap party, like, they must have hated her on set. Yeah. I heard that actually Jack Lemon didn't hate her and he was more like, that's just Marilyn, like, you you get the good with the bad with her. She's going to do what Marilyn does. Now, is that just him being kind to the interviewer, isn't it? Doesn't want to blurt out the wrong words? Probably. As opposed to Billy Wilder, who said, uh, my doctor and psychiatrist tell me I'm too old and rich to go through this shit again. Yeah. Okay, before we jump into the opening scene, let's get a plot summary from you, Mr. Henderson. How about this one? When two male musicians witness a mob hit, they flee the state in an all-female band disguised as women, and from there, hijinks ensue. (laughs) It's possible, I guess. Yeah. All right, let's get into the breakdown, Dean. We're back with some title cards. Been a while since some title cards. I think the last one we did was probably Ben-Hur, Oh, God. Stop. Don't mention it. It was Ben-Hur. Maybe it was um, City Lights, perhaps. Maybe. I don't remember. Honestly, I don't even remember the title cards here. They're not very memorable. I'm just saying there was title cards. We're back to this point in time where there were title cards. Do you just mean opening credits? Yeah, that's what they are. Oh, yeah. It's so boring. I didn't like the music, though. Like- no, I didn't. I'm so glad that modern films have ditched these opening credits um, in favour of the closing credits. Because, I, honestly, I went in... Do you ex- not want to pay respects to the people who made these movies? No. Do you walk out at the end of the cinema when they... Today, I didn't. I sat there and enjoyed the... Looking for the credit of the music. Yeah. <laughs> I was the only person in the cinema as well. <laughs> <laughs> I actually... I found the music was quite bouncy, I guess. It was catchy. It's like the kind of music that lets you know you, you should be in for some good-lighted fun here <laughs> until they cut to a casket. Like... Yeah, it's a pretty decent little car chase here for its time, I reckon. It felt, it did feel like to me watching it that some of the shots had been sped up post-production to make it seem more like faster and dramatic. I did notice that in the police car crash. That's mm. the only point I noticed that where it sped up a yeah. little bit. Now, this looks like a somber setting, but we know this isn't how it seems because we do hear those sirens in the back. Like, they're in sitting with a casket. They look deflated, but you hear the police going. It's mm. like, okay, this isn't what it's supposed to look like. And you see... The gangsters in the car start to get a bit concerned, and they start to speed off. And the cop stuff just firing at them, like, have a little bit pull over, have a <laughs> license of registration, maybe. No, let's just start shooting some bullets. Well, it was the 20s. It was a different time. <laughs> exactly. You got the cops standing on the outside of the car as well, all hanging off the side. Yeah. It was a great reveal when the, the coffin does get shot up. And we see it open with all the bottles of booze in there. Did you like them pull down the, the cord and the guns come up above the, the roof of the car? Oh, I didn't notice that. How did they get their machine guns? They pull, they pull the cords on the sides and the, and the curtains part on the roof of the car <laughs> and there's like four machine guns just Jesus. just hanging up there. It's That's how bad. they pull them out and start firing. Not bad at all. Yeah, but I also, uh, what you said, I also like how they get the reveal that it actually, the, that the coffin is actually full of booze. 
And then when we get the Chicago 1929 come up, we are well aware now that it is the time of the Prohibition when alcohol was banned. So you can see that's why they're doing this. They, they basically set that up without telling you what's going on. Hmm. Yeah. And that's what I like. We don't need to have text come up saying 1929, the year of the Prohibition. Gangsters it literally taking- came up, 1929. But it doesn't come up with you saying, it doesn't come up saying the the war of alcohol <laughs> is, is brewing. Yeah. Get it? Yep. Yeah. Clever. Thank you. And we do see that this is a high price commodity for the gangsters here. That's where they make all their money because everyone really wants to get the alcohol, but it is banned. So they end up hiding it in the back of a funeral parlor using passwords, describing it as coffee. Oh, I love the coffee uh, line when they sit down to order and it's like, uh, yeah, I'll get a, I'll get some booze or whatever he asks for. And I was really like, oh, we don't, we don't serve that here. We just serve coffee. <laughs> you know, would you like bourbon coffee or this coffee <laughs> or this coffee? Yeah, it's pretty funny. And it is at this funeral parlor that we meet our protagonists, Joe and Jerry, played by Tony Curtis and Jack Lemon. You can see they're kind of happy-go-lucky people when you first meet them here. Like They're talking about what they're going to do with their first paycheck. They've gotten in a fair while. One wants to get his teeth fixed. The other wants to gamble it all on a racetrack. They seem like optimistic guys and luckily happen to notice the badge on the detective sitting there waiting for the raid, luckily. But seriously, how do they manage to walk out of there? The, the cops come in and raid the joint. And you see them just walk casually behind these two cops who are, rattle- who are rattling all these people together. They have their big instruments as they're walking right behind them. Like, excuse me, sorry, I'm just walking out of here. <laughs> like, yep, yep, you go. And I thought maybe they're not arrested because they're not the ones consuming the alcohol. But the next scene, you see them sneaking out still, trying not to get caught by the cops. So they obviously were in danger of being arrested there. Yeah, yeah, I think I think they would have been arrested. Yeah, I mean, they sneak out pretty easily, which is, you know, not very realistic. We do get the traits of these two that they like to climb down a lot of poles and outside of buildings to escape, which you see multiple times coming up throughout the film as well. Hmm. I did think it was a funny convo here between Detective Mulligan and Spats. Not so much what they were saying, but the way they were saying it. It's that very... Yeah, yeah, I'm going to book you, see? You and your cronies are going to finish this. <laughs> you and your cronies are finishing this down. That kind of talk. <laughs> that night, that 20s gangster talk. Uh-huh. Very funny to listen to. Yeah, that's not bad. Before we go any further, I just do want to backtrack to when we first are introduced to our main protagonist. Yeah, I feel like it really does introduce these characters really, really well. Um, firstly, Jack Lemon looks like he's actually playing the double bass here, which I found impressive. Oh, I thought you were saying, like, it was a mistake, like he said he was playing a bass. And you're like, oh, that's a double bass, can't you tell? You're actually saying that he was actually playing the instrument. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The way you said it, I'm like, are you just nitpicking that they, it's like the wrong instrument? No, it's a double bass <laughs> okay. he has. Okay. Um, no, 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 no. Like, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, I don't know if Tony Curtis was playing the sax for real or not, but definitely you can tell the double bass that Jack Lemon, you know, knew his way around it. Yep. Then they start talking about money, and I feel that Joe... He comes across as a sensible one here. And he says, you know, you can't, you can't put all your money on teeth. That's wasting it. And, you, you know, we owe all these people over town. We've got to do something, you know, constructive with this money. And, you, you know, so yeah, he sounds like a good bloke. Yeah, so let's go down the track, put it all on grease lightning. <laughs> it's like, what? And I think that's the brilliance of the script that Billy Wilder wrote here. Like, there's basically no uh, improvisation in this movie. Everything that was filmed was off the script. So... The comedic timing of what they're saying, I think, is very well shown in the script itself. Yeah. 
I did like the funny transition we got of when they're outside talking about how they're going to pawn the coats and he's like, we're not going to do that. It's yeah. a guaranteed win. And then it yeah. cuts to them walking without the coats <laughs> in the freezing cold. Yeah. <laughs> thought that was good. You didn't need to see it. You just knew what had happened. Yeah, that was funny. And this is basically where we start to get the premise of the film. Like, a couple of girls drop out of a band they need replacing and they come up with the idea to dress up as females and take this gig. It's not until a little bit later when that actually comes into fruition, but you can see the setup here starting to happen. Hmm. I love that regardless of whether or not that the cops had raided the place and whether they would have got paid or not, they still would be in the same situation. They would have put it all at the dog track yeah. and be left with nothing. <laughs> exactly. And man, this Joe, he is a smooth talker to this Nelly, isn't he? Oh, he's on fire. <laughs> he gets her all warm. This would have been pretty risque back in the day. And then he drops the bomb. He's just going to borrow a car. And she gets really angry and immediately calms down when he gives a little bit of a kissy on the neck. Oh, yeah. Like, she's, she's shocking. You wouldn't get any of that in movies <laughs> I nowadays. know. I know. She is just treated as just meat for him. <laughs> okay. So, I just want to talk about this garage scene. Yeah, me too. Well, that's, that's quite convenient. Yes, it is. So... Firstly, did you know this is based on a true story? Of oh, oh, this actual shootout scene? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I did. I did, actually. Which I didn't realise watching it. Uh, I'm not sure how many people would have, seeing as it happened in the 20s. But, yeah, it's all about this St. Valentine's Day massacre. Yeah. Where Al Capone organised this hit of his rival gang. And it's even, like, identical number of people dead. Like, eventually the seven are killed. Yep. Even one of them's a mechanic, which I thought was a nice touch, you know? Well, Spatz is actually... Modelled after. Yeah, he's modelled after Al Capone himself. Yeah. 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 No, it, it was... um, it was. I like that they did pull that, that bit of real life into it. It sort of grounds it a bit, even though it is quite fantastical what's going on. But I did... I found it odd that as soon as Joe and Jerry walk in the garage, all the guys jump up straight away with guns pointed at them. Well, they're on edge. Right. They know that Charlie just ratted out spats. Yeah, but then you hear a car screeching <laughs> in, breaks down whatever barrier was there, What's this car pulls doing up, here? gets out, has time to pull out guns, and they're just sitting there with no guns out. I was like, Ooh, That's a good point. Don't know about that, fellas. Get your priorities right. <laughs> I did read that the the guy who played spats, uh, George Raft. Raft? I think it's Raft. George Raft. I think it's Raft. You're wrong. It's Raft. He was afraid that when he had to kick the toothpick out of the guy's mouth, he was worried he was going to kick him in the head. Yeah. And every time he did it, he would miss it by by heaps. Yeah. And Billy Wilder, after 10 takes, just got so angry with him, showed him how to do it, and ended up kicking the guy in the head. <laughs> yeah, so it was at this point that actually swapped out the toothpick for a toothpick-painted nail <laughs> you know, that was a bit bigger and easier to kick, and uh, George Raft got it in the first go. Wasn't it Raft? I think it was Raft. <laughs> now, I imagine this would have been a first-of-its-kind movie in regards to having males dress up as females for the majority of the film. I mean, these days we've had films like Tootsie and Mrs. Doubtfire, along with a bunch of others, but being back in the 50s, I feel like this would have been a standout film purely for that alone. And we do get the little gag of Jerry not being able to walk in his high heels, which I thought was pretty funny. That's that's the first shot you get of them as they, as you transition to the, the mm. train station. You get the feet walking along and, and muddling it up. and Yeah, you're sort of watching these, you know, these legs with their heels and you're sort of like, ooh, who's that? Ooh. <laughs> ooh. And then it pans up, you're like, oh, oh, God. <laughs> nah, I did, I did see that um, they actually had a coach um, employed to try and help them walk better in heels. Until the point where I think it was Jack Lemon said, "No, nah, stop it! I don't want to look like someone who can walk in heels. I want to look like a man who is trying to walk in heels." Yeah. 
you know, which that's, I think is good. It lacks a bit good. of um, realism to it. And it's here where we get our first glimpse of Sugarcane, played by Marilyn Monroe, with this extra sultry music playing in the background. Of course. I mean, this is Monroe at the height of her powers. Yeah. And I must say, oh. she is smoking <laughs> in this movie. Uh, she's unreal in this film. Are you going to deny this? She's okay. You'll be the first ever. She's okay. Wow. I mean, wow. she is not the greatest of all time. I didn't say that. Yeah, a lot of people do. I don't agree with that, but in this film, she is unreal. I just can't get past her personality, to be honest. What, after you heard all this stuff about her? No, Did you know no, this no. before that? Yeah, I'd seen um, that movie with Michelle Williams, where she plays Monroe. My Life as Marilyn. One Week with Marilyn or something? Something like that, yeah. Um... So I know I know what um, I'm pretty sure they're actually two different movies what we just said. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um so I know what Monroe was like in her real life, but just in this movie, she's so dumb. <laughs> like yeah. she is beyond dumb. And yeah. for me, I'm not as shallow as some people like you where I actually value a woman's personality and what they have to say. I mean, is that the movie making a statement that if you want an intelligent woman, you have to be a man? <laughs> oh, yes, it is. I think that was Billy Wilder's uh, true intention with making this film. Ah, uh, classic 50s morals. I uh, love it. I really appreciate how the characters' motivations are really hammered home for us um, the beginning of this film. We get from the jump that these two men are very poor and need to make a buck desperately. We see the option presented to them initially to dress in drag to go to the Florida trip, but it's never really considered until they must leave town. Dressing up as women and going to Florida ticks all the right boxes for them now. Makes an unbelievable situation of them having to dress up as women a lot easier for the audience to believe when we're given steady points as to what actually got them there. You you say that. It gives me a reason to bring up... The relationship between Joe and Jerry here, here, uh, you can obviously see that Joe is the the dominant, the alpha in this duo here. Hmm. Like Jerry succumbs to his proposal to go to the dog track to to bed all this the the coats. Yep. Jerry is the one who first says, "Let's dress up as women," and Joe's yep. like, "No, no." Yep. Only until Joe says, "We're doing it," do they go. Yeah, he's the first one who makes that call yeah. and puts on that voice. And we see Jerry is the first one to take a fancy to Sugar, but then once Joe gets involved, Jerry backs off yeah. and basically becomes his wingman. Yep. So I like that that is shown at several points along the way here, and it, and it becomes so well known that when you get to that point where Jerry backs off and helps him out, it's understandable. Mm. Yeah, and that's exactly. what I like about that uh, relationship between these two. It's good. And as I was saying before, with the premise of men dressing up as women, you're going to get a lot of jokes centering around that, obviously. So here we get a classic in them forgetting which toilet to go to. They nearly go into the men's. Nope, nope, we got to go to the women's. Yeah. But here is our formal introduction to Sugar, again with the sultry music playing. And now they have a conversation, and she's showing that she's really only there because she's running away. She's not much of a musician, but we see that she's going to be a somewhat love interest for the two, which is obviously complicated since they're supposed to be women. We see her put the flask back in her leg stocking and the music starts playing again. And I love the line. My thing's straight. I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> really? Because I, I love the line just after she walks out. Boy, would I love to borrow a cup of that sugar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this this whole movie is a lot of those jokes. Yeah, and I think, I think this one in particular is great because they've broken... Because it's her name. Nah, but, yeah, obviously. <laughs> but they've broken character while they're still in their disguises as women. So it's it's very comical seeing these two women speaking in gruff, deep voice, yeah. googling sugar. <laughs> you know, it's, it's well done. 
Uh, it does come up a couple of times too where they're putting on their female voices and she says something and they're like, really? Like they just, <laughs> they just completely forget. Like they, she says something so like sexy and they're like, oh, oh God. <laughs> so I've got two words for you that will make the premise of this movie completely fall apart. Adam's apple. Are they not there? Of course they're there. <laughs> I, I didn't notice it. You didn't notice the Adam's apple on the men? No. Too I, busy looking at sugar. I, th- I thought you don't like the bimbos. I thought you were going for the intelligent type. <laughs> Let's talk about this stupid song we get here. Okay. So obviously it's a Monroe movie, so we're going to get some singing from Monroe. I didn't. I didn't know too much about Monroe. I didn't know that she was. Is she a singer, or does she just is just in her contract that she needs to sing a song in a movie or two? Know. She sang to the president once. Oh, she did. Yeah. Does that mean she has to sing in everything? I guess it's sort of a signature thing. Because we get it again later on. I know, it's just, a couple of times. Oh, it's just so pointless. I mean, I understand the last song she sings. It's showing her sadness of what's happened. She's lost She's lost her rich yacht man. What's the, What's his name? Junior. Yeah, Junior from the Shell Company. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but in terms of the other two, I don't see the need for it. Yeah, I mean, and this one in particular, I actually didn't mind it when it started. And you got Sweet Sue telling the guys to... Sp- the ladies to spruce it up a bit and Jerry in particular is great here the way he's spinning this double bass around with that huge infectious smile of his it's really fun and then we get hit with this sugar and a stupid ukulele running wild lost control running wild mighty bold feeling gay reckless too carefree mind all the time never blue which apparently she learned especially for this film oh okay what a waste but maybe they needed that to show that she drops her flask, and that's where I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call Jerry Daphne now. I've got Daphne in my notes from now on. Fair enough. I've got Jerry, so keep okay. up, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually felt that the sound here was off, and I know obviously her singing is not recorded on the train, and it's recorded in a studio. But it's just really obvious here that her voice, her mouth, did not match the singing, and it did take me out of the movie a bit. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So we get into the next scene, which is my... Excellent! And it's this whole night scene where Sugar comes to see Daphne, Jerry, and he's so... He wants to tell her that he's a man, and he and there's all these jokes that come up. If there's ever anything I can do for you... I can think of a million things. That's one of them! That was funny. And this whole gag here of him struggling to maintain his femininity. I love how he's just, he's trying to keep it together. And it's, it's subtle. Like she's rubbing his foot and he's like, I'm a woman, I'm a woman. I'm a-. <laughs> he's not saying exactly what's going on, but we know what's going on here. Speaking of when he's saying, I, I felt it was almost sitcom-y here where he's saying that sort of stuff and she's just oblivious to it. Like she's not even hearing Did it. Did you expect a laugh track maybe? <laughs> God, I'm glad I didn't have one. But nonetheless, it is a funny wink to the audience. I did find it interesting how he leans down to get the bourbon from Josephine. How does his wig not fall off? He's upside down. Has he got it glued on? So every other time he could easily take it off. Yeah, he's upside down and it doesn't come off. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't notice that at all. We say that Marilyn Monroe took like 40 takes to, for these one-line scenes and that. Apparently, this was the only scene where it took her one take to do. This whole bed scene. Poor Jack Lemmon. Oh, no. <laughs> he was like, man, why couldn't this be 40 takes? Yeah. Man, I really love that bit. You said it before. I'm a girl. I'm a girl. I'm a girl. <laughs> what did you say? I'm a very sick girl. <laughs> oh, I'd better go so I don't catch anything. I'm not that sick. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, this whole scene is just joke after joke. It's so funny. And unlucky for poor Daphne because everyone ends up in his bed. Or was that actually lucky? <laughs> I love how they talk about the cocktail shaker and it turns out to be a hot water bottle as well. They're so sophisticated. Like, get the cheese and crackers and the cocktail shaker. I thought that was pretty funny as well. And just this overall scene, I was busting up in this scene. I laugh so hard at all this. It's funny you say that because once we actually finish that, the bit where she's in the bed with him and then they go and they get more, that whole rest of the scene on the train goes to 10 minutes from that point. Yeah. Are you talking about when she's in the, the bathroom with, yeah, yeah, with from- Josephine cracking the ice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, and this is where Joe Josephine starts to realise he might have a shot at her. It really dragged on for me here. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I thought this was good because it's it's showing how he's starting to become attracted to her. He, she's saying how him, in a man, would be the kind of person that she would go for. And now he's like, oh, okay, now I'm going to take a shot at this. But from what you've said about your shallow views on women, <laughs> I feel like we don't need a reason. Like, we don't need... 10 minutes of Joe realising that he's attracted to Sugar It's Kang. not just 10 minutes of that. She is telling her backstory as well. This is a character who we need to have some sort of relatability to as as little as we can get. Yeah. And this story of her and her upbringing, that's what we need. If she just stayed a flat-out blonde bimbo with no story, hmm. we wouldn't care for her. Fair enough. I didn't really care for her at all. Well, that just shows how shallow you are, mate. Did you care for her? I did care for her. So, we finally get to the hotel here and the... The men go to their rooms and start talking about various things. But before that happens, we get to meet Oswald. Good old Oswald, who starts to take a bit of a fancy to young Daphne here. Ah, yes, Oswald. Like, she is obviously not interested in him and takes, you know, pushes him away. She does use him, though, for holding briefcases and suitcases and all that good stuff. But even when she pushes his advances away, he loves that. Mm. He, he's so interested well, in that. Well, because he's probably so rich that he's used to women just... You know, going with him no matter what. Whereas now you've got this woman who's a man who's resisting him. What do you think of the little slapstick joke where they get in the elevator and it goes halfway up and then the arrow comes pointing back down and she starts running out of the elevator? What do you think of that? Nothing special? No. What did you think of it? I had a small chuckle. Did you? Yeah. I actually think it gets used poorly in a scene later on, but here I thought it was funny enough. Okay. I like the great subtle line that the manager says to the team, like asking where his glasses are. Like we've heard before how sugar gets turned on by men who wear glasses. Mm. And then we later see that Joe's stolen them. But for now, we're left to figure it out for ourselves, which I love. We don't need every joke thrown in our face. We're sometimes left to wonder about it ourselves. And just that simple little line, has anyone seen my glasses? That's all you need. You understand what's happened. And I did laugh at that as well. Yeah, there's a lot of subtle humour in this film. I actually didn't pick up on that. Oh, didn't you? Nah, not until he opened the briefcase. Oh, okay. Nah, I heard that line. I'm like, ah, oh, that's that's pretty good. Yeah. I like that. Oh, good. There's this little bellhop cracking onto Josephine as well throughout this film. He is quite a brazen little... They all are. All the men in this movie. Yeah, but this they... is like a kid. She's like, she shows no interest in him whatsoever, and he's like... You know, get rid of your roommate. I've got a key to your room. Like, whoa! <laughs> settle down, mate. Yeah. And we still see here that Jerry is still interested in Sugar, and they're playing at these games like Sugar comes in. And I love the friendly back and forth between the two here, especially when they say that they're going to go down to the beach and Jerry says, Don't get burned, Daphne. Oh, I've got suntan lotion. Well, oh, she'll rub it on me. I'll rub it on her. We'll rub it on each other. <laughs> Bye-bye. I thought that was really funny as yeah, well. Jack Lemon is so... 
It's just so energetic yeah. in this film. To he's me, so good. He's the best. He's the best actor in this film. Like he, he is the standout in this film. It is not even close. Oh, he is so good in this film. He is so funny. His comedic timing is perfect. I loved it. You know, from the male who's trying to act like a female, but he's still got his male urges mm. as well. To later on when he starts to embrace his womanhood. Yeah. Ah, oh, he's so good in this film. Yeah, he's he is fantastic, and I think Tony Curtis suffers a bit for it because I I think he's so throwaway in this film. Well, Tony Curtis was the big star, yeah, and Jack Lemmon was no one. Yeah, he was virtually a, no he one. He was an up and comer, but and he came in and burst onto the scene here enough to get himself a Best Actor nomination. Yeah, that's crazy. That's awesome. It is. Yeah, I just yeah, Tony Curtis is nothing here. Jack Lemmon is fantastic. So it looks like Joe is gonna try a sneaky old trick here to try and woo Sugar. Now, he obviously has one goal in mind here, and that's to get her into bed, because I don't know how he could ever convince her that he is Josephine as well at this point. Like, how he's not looking to start a relationship with her, mm. because how in the hell is he going to work that out? If he's if he's posing as both, yeah. how would that ever come to fruition? At this point, it turns out it does, Yeah. but how could he think that right now? It's a tough one. It is a tough one. So, now we get Jerry in a swimsuit. Like, seriously, there is no way the ladies would not tell now. But he's a man. But he doesn't it, even he doesn't even have the wig to throw them off as it's covered under his swimsuit. He explains it. He has a heavy instrument oh, he has to lift just, up. Just because she comments on the size he of his arms and shoulders, that doesn't make it okay. I do like the callback of when he's under the water and he's like, "Oh, it's just a trick I learned in the elevator." Which <laughs> underwater. That was good. Yeah. Sugar says she wishes she was flat chested too, so clothes would fit better. <laughs> yeah, I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> So, Joe rocks up, and man, that is a brutal trip he gives her when he's sitting down, and she runs to get the ball, and he just sticks his leg out as far as he can. That looked harsh, I'd say. Wasn't too subtle, either. In fact, Tony Curtis did ask Billy Wilder if he could imitate Cary Grant uh, for his accent here, and Wilder liked it so much that they just kept it the whole way. It was, mm. was did good. You, you didn't pick up on it as you were watching, did you? No, I don't know the Cary Grant voice to a T. I did not pick up on it, but once I read that he was doing it, like, he nails it. What's the Cary Grant movies you've seen? I've seen North by Northwest. Yep. That's An Affair a- to Remember. No. I think I think that's the only one I've seen. Yeah. I saw An Affair to Remember a fair bit when I was a kid for some weird reason. Um, but apparently, Cary Grant said he couldn't see the resemblance no. to his voice. So, Do you uh, that's sort of an ego clash? Like, no, he doesn't I don't, talk I don't, like that at all. I don't, I don't, see, the, I don't see the similarities. Are you sure you do sound like that, mate? <laughs> And not a little subtle joke here as well, when he, halfway through the conversation, he realizes he's reading the newspaper upside down. <laughs> he yeah. said, oh shit, just turn it over. So you're reading the Wall Street Journal, yeah. I think. The millionaire's uh, newspaper. I think this is an interesting conversation. I do like the line. Look, if you're interested in whether I am married or not. Oh, I'm not interested at all. Well, I'm not. That's very interesting. I thought that was a good play on words there. Now, some films that we review, they don't end up saying the title of the film during its runtime. And some of them do. Yeah. But like Ben Hur. But when they do, I always imagine that CSI music playing. Syncopators. Does that mean you play that very fast music, uh, jazz? Yeah, real hot. Oh, well, I guess some like it hot. You ever think that? Uh, no, I never. I never think of the CSI music, but it does stand out a lot um, in this movie because it it felt so shoehorned in. You know, well at the time when they're talking about the music, hot is a reference to jazz. That's why he says that some like it hot because he's talking. How is it, how is it referencing jazz? 
because she's talking about how she's a she's in a jazz band, and he's like, "Oh, well, some like it hot. I don't personally." Do you know what hot is actually referring to? The music, <laughs> the improvisational aspect of jazz. Cool. Where so jazz? Yeah. So if it's hot, it's that improvisational. You never know what's going to happen. It's beaten around, as opposed to the ah, oh, like Ryan Gosling said in La La Land. <laughs> it's new and it's fresh and it's exciting every night. Sure. Yeah. Exactly like that. <laughs> yeah. Whereas you know they're not talking about like, scripted, written music so much. But definitely a stretch to get the name of the movie in here. I do like another gender reversal joke here where Daphne says, if I were a girl, and I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, like, I liked another uh, gender reversal here from earlier on in the film where Sugar lies to Joe saying she went up to that same made-up school, the conservatory, <laughs> that Jerry and Joe said they went to. <laughs> They're just like, oh, really? Yeah. I did like the fantastic reveal of Joe sitting up in the bath when they get back up there in the uniform still slowly rising out of the bath. I mean, there's no way he could have beaten them. There's no way. He could have climbed up the back of the... There is no way. They were running and they had a massive head start. There's no way that he would have beaten them there without them seeing, right? They're and running, they're running had in high a time heels. to run a bath. The bath was ran. What? When they were leaving, he's like, I'm going to go take a bath. He runs the bath and starts getting dressed. The bath is run. Okay. And you see him- Why would you run a bath and then go out somewhere and then for the purpose of coming back to it later? It'd be cold. Probably for this exact reason. He needs to get back. So he knew he would have to race back and jump in the bath. not race back. No. He was running the bath when they left. Why are you making so many excuses for this film? I like this film. I think you like it too much. I don't think I like it too much at all. Mm. I'm just saying because you see him several times, even after this point, leaping out the side of the building, climbing back up in those buildings- that he had very easily, not very easily, but he very could have. Very could have. He could I'm not have, sure very is the right word. There, there is a good chance he could have got back up there before they did. There is no chance. Well, Moving he did. On. We get another Marilyn Monroe sing song here, and this one is particularly bad. There is a lot of poop de doop be doop stuff. <laughs> Shit, Betty Boop. It, it is. Like, I'm like, what is she doing? I was like, this is boring. But holy shit, that dress is fantastic. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a bit risque, isn't it? Like, it, looks... it is barely covering yeah. her nipples. Fantastic. <laughs> well, who's, who's the shallow one now? I can appreciate all aspects of a woman, <laughs> physical or the other one. So as I said earlier, Daphne has given up on Sugar pretty quickly after this train scene. Sort of bowed out to his buddy Joe here, even helping him as much as taking Oswald out on a date just so he can use the yacht. And again... This is Joe telling Jerry, Daphne, what he's going to be doing, and he just does it. I mean, this guy is an amazing wingman in the end, even if he is giving him shit about it the whole time. He talk about the humor here, even just these little quirky things like Sugar and Joe going backwards in the speedboat while this romantic music is playing. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's right in the middle of a romantic comedy. It doesn't sway too much on either side. Like, it's perfect. You've got the romantic music. With the comedy, the slapstick comedy of them driving the speedboat backwards to the boat. I thought it was so funny. Like, they, they complement each other. Hmm. Like sugar and spice. Where's the spice? Joe's the spice. Spicy. Spicy. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not spicy. He's a smooth talker using the reverse psychology. This, oh. <laughs> this is... This, this is, is so, this this is is so weird. This is like sociopathic. Telling her you can't feel anything, like... <laughs> Daring her to, like, break this thing that he's got going she on at the She wants to be the one to change him. Oh, I mean, this is... <laughs> kisses, uh, kisses and kisses him. 
Nothing. <laughs> I love it when she says, Maybe if we had some music. How do you dim these lights? And then he says, Look, it's terribly sweet of you to want to help out, but it's no use. I think the light switch is over there. <laughs> I did have a very good laugh about that line, too. And then we see... Even, hold on. Even says he would kill himself if he wasn't such a coward. <laughs> like, this guy... Like, are we- He's hamming it up. Yeah, like, I, d- I did not like this guy in this moment. At this point, no. But we smash cut to stone-faced Daphne having a dance with Oswald. And again, one of those gender jokes where she's always leading. <laughs> yeah. I these, these smash cuts you refer to, going from Joe making out with... Sugar. In the tender romantic music as well. And then you hit to bloody Jerry doing the tango with the millionaire saying corny line after corny line. With that awesome waltz music in the background. It feels like my toes are over a hot flame. (laughs) Throw another log on the fire. (laughs) Like, come on. Cut Cut back to Jerry with the flower in his mouth. It's so funny. Jack Lemon nails it here. Great feminine dance poses. Great look of utter disdain in his face at the same time. Yep. Bravo, sir, which is why this is my... Excellent! Yep, I am okay with that. That is yeah, fantastic. I thought it was really funny. And it really captures like really what the whole movie is about. Yeah, pretty much. And what's also as funny yet ridiculous as well is that we get the reversing speedboat again after at the end of the <laughs> night. Music and all. But the thing is, the boat wouldn't have been that way around. Yeah, but it only goes in reverse. But... The boat was back the other way. He reversed up, so the front would have been facing the way back. Yet he, re- yet he's reversing again. Yeah, they can't put the boat in forward motion. It's only in so. Reverse. How do they reverse out? If he, when he got to the boat, the back of the boat is you against can the boat. Move a boat around very easily. How? If he's reversing with your arms, how is he going to do that when he's reversing? The boat's against the boat. Without the motor, you can turn a boat around. Nah, I don't know. It looked kind of weird. Have you ever been in a boat? I'm on a boat. <laughs> That's a no. <laughs> And we get Jerry lying on his bed here in the hotel, still singing away from the dance numbers he's done with the real millionaire. What's his name? Oswald. Oswald. And Joe comes climbing in through the window. Yeah, as he's prone to do. Correct. Actually, with this scene, a preview audience laughed so hard at Daphne announcing she was engaged that a lot of the dialogue actually got missed. So they had to reshoot it with pauses, God. including the part where she's shaking the maracas, just to get that extra time yeah. to say the lines. Huh. And then Sugar comes in to explain the night, and I love the extra touch of having the bourbon still in the hot water bottle when he goes, would you like some bourbon? And then he whips out the bottle out of the drawer. <laughs> Did you notice that? He goes, would you like some bourbon? And she's like, oh, I'm, not, I'm, trying, to t- I'm trying to cut off it. And so he opens the drawer and pulls out the hot water bottle from the train. <laughs> <laughs> no, I missed that. That's good. And again, this lobby boy, he's back in. Relentless. <laughs> Calm down, mate. I mean, props for trying. <laughs> it's more than trying. <laughs> so after this, Spats is back. I mean, this is so stupid. Why? Why is he there? He's there for an Italian it is, opera it expo. Is whatever so it is so convenient, it's not funny. Again, okay. you got nothing to... Okay, con- maybe it is convenient. Oh, yeah, it is. There's no... Like, there's no reason for them to be there. All right, so you're saying it's a plot device? Yes. Okay, that's all right. Fair enough. I didn't even think of it like that. I know really? That, I know oh, that, what is I know they it had been saying that they've been going around searching for these these two males in all the different bands around. Yeah, they did not get to this hotel because they were looking for them. Okay. It didn't bother me. I didn't even think of it. Okay. But, man, these are just the classic, stereotypical Italian gangsters, these guys. Suited up, bowler hats. You just don't see that anymore. 
Also, pretty stupid gag with the golf club and pull it out and it's a machine gun in mm. the golf bag. Did you see that? I didn't mind that. Uh, I don't know. I think the bullet one was worse when he's got the bullets at the bottom of his leg. Yeah. Eh, I don't know. I didn't really like that part. That was a bit of a letdown. But it goes for like three seconds, so whatever. We've already spoken about the, the back and forth on the phone here between Sugar and Joe saying goodbye. I mean, yeah, she's pretty transparent interacting here with her eyes darting back and forth. Oh, really yeah. reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you can call it acting. I can't believe she won a Golden Globe for this. Yeah, that's a bit of a stretch. If her name wasn't Marilyn Monroe, she wouldn't have. I don't think she was awful, but definitely not worthy of any accolades. Nah. So, not only is it ridiculously convenient that we see Spats and the gangsters at the same hotel, but Joe and Jerry, they handle this whole situation so terribly. Oh, yeah. They could just walk in front of them and there would be nothing. There'd be no issue at all. But they race up. They start climbing outside the window. Well, it's worked so well for them every other time so far. so dumb. Like, when you escape like that, if you're seen at all by these gangsters, you're going to raise some suspicions well, immediately. Spats you, did. You could walk out the look, front door. Spats gave a look of recognition to them. And even when they climbed down the pole, he's like, they did look familiar. Those faces look familiar. Yeah, but he wouldn't have made that connection if he hadn't have thought he them as suspicious. He did do a double take when he left the lift. Yeah, and kept walking. Yeah, because so- yeah, there was nothing, like, you don't think, oh, gee, those are those random two people. That but if they saw for. him again, maybe he would. Nah, no And chance. because it's worked so well for them to climb down the poles every other time so far, why not? Because it was stupid. They should have just gone down the elevator and they would have been fine. Well, that's Monday morning quarterbacking, mate. You can't explain that's what... That's what we do. <laughs> that is all we do. Yeah, good point, good point. <laughs> uh, what a weirded me out though was they go and get changed like we see the lobby boy pushing the guy in the wheelchair into his room and they yep. go in there and they come out and jerry has the uniform on but he's like the guy's like a kid and he's a, an old like a you know 30 40 year old man how does he fit in those clothes how do those clothes just become so big all of a sudden for him to fit in doesn't make any sense it doesn't again convenient yep there are little conveniences along the way yeah, that i did pick them. up on yep. uh, not a lot there are some now i want to talk about this mass shooting scene here. Do you think it would have been better if we didn't get shown that the guy had climbed into the cake? Or do you think because, like a sort of like a Hitchcock film, yeah, where we know that there's there's something about to happen and it's the yeah, tension. so we're waiting for it. Yeah. Adds tension to it. Yeah, I, I didn't mind it. It's fine. Like, the scene of him getting in is really boring. But once- It goes for like five seconds. Calm down. Wow. Are you going to put this at like number one on your rankings You're gonna or something? You're going to have to wait and find out, my friend. <laughs> You've never been so defensive. Because I know you're rating for this film and you seem to be shitting all over it. I'm not shitting all over it. I'm just saying what I'm seeing and you're arguing with every little nitpick I say. Yeah, it didn't bother me. Yeah. Yeah. If it was another movie, you'd be all over it. Maybe it bothered me in those movies. This one here didn't. All right. How good's a bit where you've got the Joe and Jerry under the desk right in front of Spats and he doesn't even notice them? That was really good too. Why would he not notice them? What? What? I'm sorry, but if you pull up to a table and put your chair in, you would have kicked him. He didn't. He sits so far away from the table here just to avoid kicking them. It's ridiculous. That's why he didn't kick him. Convenient. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of conveniences in a lot of movies, my friend. Yeah. This one just bothered me. Uh, didn't bother me. <laughs> For a movie from the 50s about the 20s, it's been quite friendly so far. And then we we've, we did get the shootout at the start, but then there's this other big execution here just comes out and just shoots them all. It's a, it's a bit of a change from what the last hour or so that we've seen of this film. Yeah, it's a change. But again, there's no stakes. You don't care about any of these people. 
Nah, I didn't really care. I'd care about um, Joe and Jerry. Yeah, but they're not going to get shot. Why not? Because it's a some like it hot, right? It's not <laughs> an early Godfather. <laughs> I did mention before how I like that elevator gag of it going up and then coming back down. This is where I didn't like it, where they run up the stairs and then you see the elevator and it, the elevator comes down and they're dressed in the, the women's clothing again. Like, was that supposed to be instantaneous or was it supposed to be played up as they've gone upstairs, got dressed and then come back down? Like there's a bit of there's a bit of a time lapse. Oh, I think it was played as a time lapse because there was no cut. It looked like it was instantaneous, like a sort of Looney Tune style in the door out, and they're dressed. No, they're not as quick as uh, say Rob Williams is in Mrs. Doubtfire. Well, then it didn't bother me then. It was, Ooh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we talk about Marilyn Monroe not really being the best actor in this film. Pretty unconvincing acting from her. No, when, when stop it's, it. When she finally figures out that Josephine is Joe, she gives the. Gus, oh. it's like, come on. And they end up boarding the speedboat. You don't want to talk about the uh, running around the hotel? Like, you want to talk about Looney Tunes and cartoons? I thought that it's was- It's like they're like, running in yeah. and out of those doors and coming out yeah, that's, different doors. That's it's, what I was talking about with the lift. Like, it seemed like instantaneous that that's how they were doing it. Uh, like, it's just, it's so slapstick. And it, like, it wasn't funny at all. No, I didn't laugh at this. Like, it's, yeah, I don't know what they were going for here. Especially considering that Spatz is dead. Like, what's, what's the consequences now? Yeah. Like, the gangster guy who killed them, he's he's just been introduced. We don't... He's not a big villain, per no, se. It's just a henchman. It was kind of just like a, a quick little throwaway for them to get out. Just felt like, oh, we should put in an action scene at the end here. It would have been perfectly fine if, every, like, those guys got shut up, they stayed there until they left, or they, they had to leave, the cop come in and took them all out, they, they stayed there, then they just casually got out and went to the speedboat. Because mm. all their problems would have been solved... But they do head out to the speedboat, and originally it was supposed to end on Sugar and Joe passionately kissing in the back. But they do have that little quick scene at the end with Jerry and Oswald, how he's trying to tell him, but not tell him, that he's not the one for him. It's so good. It is so good. And you get that iconic line right at the end. Well, nobody's perfect. Which is actually the number 48 on AFI's greatest movie quotes. Yeah, which I think, I mean, it's funny, but... It's very high, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a good last line to a movie. And we get that nice little music play out, not as credits roll, because they rolled at the start. They did. And that's the end of it. It is. Any last words? All right, Dean, what's your final thoughts on Some Like It Hot? Yeah, so Monroe is the epitome of a bimbo in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> she's blonde, dumb, cares only about getting a rich man, but she's proud of all of these things. Always seems high on screen, too. Very airy fairy. As this is the only movie I've seen her in, I can't tell if she's acting or if this is just how she is in real life, but I'm tempted to think this is just how she is. She does have a charm to her, but nothing to make me see why she became the icon that she is today. Jack Lemon shines here. He gets all the best lines and delivers them expertly. His facial expressions throughout are gold and his scenes are always the best. More so, when he's not on screen, the movie slows right down. Tony Curtis did nothing for me, especially when he's pretending to be the millionaire. We get great look at themes of sexism and how men and women are treated differently. It does it in a comical way, but the problems with being a woman are on show here as the characters encounter the love and lust of various other men. This is a comedy, though, so they don't really go the extra step with any of it. The ending 
does feel a bit rushed to me as well and very unlikely. There's no way that these people would have zero consequences for betraying everyone for so long. Overall, this is a very lighthearted film with a great performance from Jack Lemmon. There are a few genuinely funny moments to be found, but it is significantly hampered by its unoriginal gangster portrayals and two-dimensional second-tier characters. Honestly, the only characters with any depth are Jerry and Joe, and Sugar is one note the whole time. Not bad for a comedy from the 50s, but hardly the classic a lot of people make it out to be. What are your final thoughts? Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. I think it's just the right blend of comedy, drama, romance, and a bit of action. Due to some of its darker tones and scenes, though, it never gets too schmaltzy. It really just keeps a balance throughout the film. I think Tony Curtis is really good. He's going back and forth from the smooth-talking womanizer Joe to the caring Josephine. And his chemistry with both Marilyn Monroe and Jack Lemmon is actually really good. Despite all the issues and problems that apparently arose on set, Marilyn Monroe, she oozes the sex appeal. Her acting is something left to be desired, though. It's actually the only movie I've seen her in as well, so I can't gauge if that is her or her acting as mm. well. We'll have to leave that for another time. Well, no, we won't leave it for another time. This is the only movie we'll see her in. There you go. But it is Jack Lemmon who stands out for me. His comedic timing as he goes from horndog male to sympathizing female is absolute gold. I was busting up a lot of what he was serving up. And obviously credit to writer and director Billy Wilder who crafts and directs a very tight script that accompanies that comedic timing very well. I can't honestly find anything terribly bad about this film. It's just a very fun and entertaining film that I had a blast with. Should it be on this list? No, I don't think so. Is it one of the funniest films of all time? No, it's not. It is funny, but it's not top-tier comedic either. It's just a highly enjoyable, easy-to-watch film with a couple of solid performances and a tight script. It is a solid recommend for me. Very good. I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right, Dean, where does Some Like It Hot sit in your rankings? All right, let's start at the bottom. We've got Ben-Hur. It's better than Ben-Hur. Sing in the Rain. Yep, no dramas there. It's better than Sing in the Rain. Where it gets a little tougher is with this against Yojimbo. I feel like this is much easier to watch. So I will put it above Yojimbo here. Next up is City Lights. Again, probably just because it's so much more modern compared to City Lights. I'll put it above City Lights. But it is going to stop at Vertigo. So I'm going to put it at number 15 on my list out of 19 now. Okay. Where does it go on your list? All right. So we're looking at the tier of solid recommend for me. So it immediately vaults over Piles of Glory for me. So is it better than Django Unchained? And thinking about it, I had issues with Django this go around like big glaring issues whereas with some like it hot there were no massive issues it was just very like straight along the way i feel like i would enjoy this more than watching django again so it goes above django for me and that's where it's going to stop i don't think it's better than vertigo like you said as well so i'm going to put some like it hot at number 11 on my list awesome we may still have mail 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 here it is and this could be it oh Okay, so we've got three reviews here this week for Some Like It Hot. We've got one here from Sam at the Movie Reviews and 20 Qs podcast, another great podcast out there from New Zealand. Go ahead and check them out. You won't regret that. He says, For a comedy from so long ago, it's amazing how well it holds up today. I think its biggest benefit is, like many films from that era, it doesn't treat the audience as dumb. A lot of the humor relies on the story, subtlety, wit, and timing, 
as opposed to what the likes of Adam Sandler or Tyler Perry would do with something similar now. That being said, for something that is supposed to be a lighthearted affair, it's actually bleakly dark in places, and that's amazing. It gives it layers you don't expect. Billy Wilder's direction is spot on, Tony Curtis is great, Monroe has never been hotter, but Jack Lemmon is a scene stealer, deserves the praise it gets in the mistaken identity comedy genre, it is often imitated but never exceeded. And on their podcast, they give ratings out of 10,000, and he gives it an 8,437. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much for that, Sam. I thank appreciate you. that. And another one here from Steve from Everything I Learned from Movies podcast. Absolutely great comedy. I'm not entirely sure why it's always in the top three all-time comedies lists, but still a classic that everyone should see. And of course, we've got... Shane! So this is what a comedy looks like from the 1950s. Actually, not a whole lot different from many other comedies we've seen over the years. The Men in Drag routine has been played for laughs plenty of times since. I guess I should be surprised that this is actually a good movie, and not a girls' movie, which is what I thought it was previously. Not to say that it's the sort of thing I'm into, but I had an okay time with it. I did find a lot of the jokes funny. Marilyn Monroe makes a great leading lady for the pair to bounce off. The mob subplot seemed a little out of place for most part, being stuck on at the start and the end. Between the mob scenes and the drag pretending scenes, it felt like two different movies. Aside from the strong cast, there isn't anything remarkable about this movie. Certainly nothing that warrants it being in the top 250. It's there because it's old, and Monroe's iconic status, which I'm not really much a believer in. She doesn't do it for me. That was also a bit weird at the end, where after finding out Josephine was lying to her the whole movie, presumably to trick her into having sex with him, she's totally cool with it and still in love with him. I guess that's the 50s for you. I totally agree with you. That was really weird. Well, you stipulated throughout the film she's not the brightest person. Yeah, but... Well, yeah, you're right. She's dumb. Now, thank you very much for that, Shane. And thank you very much for that, Sam. Thanks, Shane. And if anyone wants to put in any more reviews of all the movies we do, you can email us at imdbjourney at gmail.com. You can get hold of us on Twitter at imdbjourney, or you can stick a review up at our letterbox account at letterbox.com slash imdbjourney. All right, so let's get into... That's my question! The question, jerk! First one here from the Cinemust. What are your favorite Billy Wilder movies? Uh, I'm just going to say what my favourite Billy Wilder movie is. Yep. And that is Witness for the Prosecution. Yeah, I'm in the same boat here. As I said, I've only seen that and The Apartment, and I do, I really enjoy them both, but I think Witness for the Prosecution does take it for me. Yep, uh, I agree with you completely there. So thanks for that one, guys. Next one here is from TJ and Serenity at the Movie with the Mrs. podcast. And they asked us to recast Hulk, Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man in the MCU. All right, Dean, who do you want to start with? Just go in order? Yeah, let's start with... Uh, Hulk. It's the order they said. Oh. <laughs> it's not the order I wrote them down in. <laughs> Where do you want to go then? No, we'll go with that one. All right. Hulk. So, I did give these a lot of thought. Did I must you? be honest. Yeah, I did. This is the only one I had two for. I got one for the other three. Oh, I had multiples and then I narrowed it down and I've got one for all of them. So, with this one, I initially was thinking of bigger guys, right? You think the Hulk, you think big angry guy, and then I realise you're not actually casting someone to be the Hulk, you're casting someone to be Bruce Banner. But who can, but who looks like he could fill out a Hulk. Like, yeah. Mark Ruffalo has that sort of biggish look to him. Not not massive, but he looks like, he's not a skinny dude. Yeah, but even a skinny dude can pull it off. Edward Norton pulled it he off. He didn't pull it off. Edward Norton pulls everything off. Oh, jeez. <laughs> anyway, so for me, I had... Sam Rockwell. All right. Okay. 
interesting. Who did you have? I had two. Just pick one. Oh, okay. Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay. Yeah. I My other one was Joaquin Phoenix. I don't like that. Okay. Joaquin Phoenix, I could see. Yeah, I, he was actually one I was considering for the Hulk, but I went for Sam Rockwell because I feel like he would play that a sort of nervous scientist a bit better. All right. What about Thor? Thor. I think this is probably the hardest one for me. It's. I think in look in doing this list, I actually think Chris Hemsworth is the most irreplaceable person yeah, from I this agree. group. I agree. Like he's just there's something different about him. So I went with someone who can have a very big body who has a kind of not quite alien view but he's a bit he's a bit out there is it you can see him not understanding a few things and being a bit clueless and but also very confident in what he knows which is why I've gone for Matthew McConaughey uh, okay uh, I can't see it but again you can when you think of Thor, all you think of is Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, who do you have? I was going to joke and say Liam Hemsworth because <laughs> it's so close to Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. But I, I went with someone who. I'm glad you didn't go with that joke. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I had to say it though. <laughs> I went with Alexander Skarsgård. Uh, okay. Yeah. See, I think any answer for Thor is, is always going to be met with. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 Well done, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. <laughs> Very you good. are so good as Thor. <laughs> all right. What about Captain America? Captain America. I went with. Jake Gyllenhaal. Okay, I went with John Krasinski. Oh, that's good. Yeah? I like that. Especially post-office Krasinski when he bulked up and he's like 13 hours Krasinski. All right, and the last one, what about Iron Man? This was my easiest one by a mile. Really? As soon as I did this list, I put him in straight away and it never changed. Okay. So, who's someone who's lavish, who can play that, you know, millionaire, billionaire playboy so effortlessly? I'm sure you're going to tell me. It's Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay, all right. I cannot believe you put him as Hulk. Who'd you put him as? Hulk. Hulk. Yeah. That's so wrong. Ah, all right. He's so, he would so fit the Tony Stark mold. But d- does he come off as a cocky, arrogant bloke? Have you seen, like, The Great Gatsby? No. Oh, he's, he's that to a T. Okay, well, I went with Tom Cruise. Yeah, I can say that. Yeah, cool. All right, those are our picks. Yeah, hey. thanks for the question. Thank you very much, Movie with the Misses. And our last question here is from the Contrarians. And they said, what's with your weird taste in Disney live action movies? And I say to you, Contrarians, open invitation on the podcast. Yeah, bring Let's it. Fight. Bring it. You, th- you think you're so good with your live action <laughs> Disney movies? Why don't you come on the podcast and have a draft with us? And we'll, we'll smash it. Yeah, we'll smash it. <laughs> no, but seriously, open invitation, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, speaking of the draft, let's get into our Twitter poll results for our last two Pod V pods, where we took on... We watched a thing in our Steven Spielberg draft, first of all. And just to refresh everyone's memory, our team was Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jaws, Saving Private Ryan, E.T., The Extraterrestrial, and Minority Report. And Billy and Topher at We Watched a Thing had Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, AI, Artificial Intelligence, (laughs) (laughs) and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and Hook. And surprisingly, Hook was the one that they seem to get a lot of flack on. Yeah. Yeah, we had... I guess our trickery worked. (laughs) (laughs) We had Films on Trial said, I think Dean and Daniel have this one. Raiders E.T., Private Ryan and Jaws. Any list with those films in is always going to be a winner for me. Oh, look at this one from the Contrarians here. Here we go. Damn it, I feel so bad voting against Billy and Topher, but the home team has my top two Spielbergs. Another one here from the Film Inquiry podcast said, The Journeymen have an absolute runaway win here. Picking Hook in the top 10 goes against the Geneva Conventions, plus Raiders and E.T. are in my top two. Now, we did stipulate, we don't, we love Hook. <laughs> like, I don't get all the flack for Hook. 
Yeah, I, I personally love Hook a lot. I could watch that again and again. No dramas. I don't know why people don't like it. Well, even here, pop-up film cast. IMDb Journey crushed it. We watched The Thing. Hook? Really? Well, wow. They probably haven't seen it. And from Mackenzie Lambert, I voted We Watched a Thing. They had my favourite indie film and Jurassic Park. We got one here from In Session Films said, The fact that no one picked Close Encounters meant everyone failed. Let's round everyone up. We have to start over. See, Dean, I gave you an option for Close Encounters and you just cleaned it off the board before he had a chance to speak. <laughs> I haven't seen it. <laughs> but don't wipe it off the board so quickly. Have you seen it? Yes, I have seen it. It's really good. Well... Not that good. It's not on the 250. Oh, touche. <laughs> One here from my brother Shane. I was going to vote we watched a thing, but AI, it's five movies versus four. Well, hang on. You were going to vote <laughs> against us. Yeah. <laughs> How and, dare you? And then he saw AI. <laughs> <laughs> One here from last week at the movies podcast said I voted we watched a thing solely for Jurassic Park. Movie Geek and Proud said they went with we watched a thing. They hate to do it. Not even Home Court Advantage helped this week. Same with the Your Dead to Me podcast. Said, ultimately, they went with We Watch the Thing because, come on, Jurassic Park. Dregs of Craig said, We Watch the Thing has my vote. Sure, it's got AI on it, but everything else is top notch. <laughs> and in the end, after 106 votes, 59% goes to the champions right here, the IMDb Journey. Woo! So, better luck next time, Billy and Topher. You did put up a good fight. Unlucky. And our second draft from our latest Pod V Pod with Movie with the Misses on live action Disney films. As the contrarians were alluded to, our draft was Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, Cool Runnings, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the new Jungle Book remake, and The Parent Trap. The, the new remake. The version. new remake of The Parent Trap. Which upset some people. Uh, movie with the Misses had The Santa Claus, The Mighty Ducks, Tron Legacy, Remember the Titans, and Homeward Bound. And a couple of comments here. One from the Lazy Stoner said, Had to go a movie with the Misses solely because of Tron. Another one here from Brother Shane. Voted Movies with the Misses. Seems like a good VHS collection. I haven't seen The Parent Trap, and I hate Pirates of the Caribbean. He's your brother. Damn you, Shane. One here from Melissa of the Brook Reading Podcast said, I definitely have to go with IMDb Journey because I'm always team IMDb Journey and Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Thank you very much, fam, Melissa. Thanks, Melissa. We love your support. <laughs> one here from the Amateur Auteurs pod said, I'm going to have to side with the Mighty Ducks on this one. Another one here from Shooting Breezes said, It was hard to go past the Mighty Ducks, but Cool Running sealed it for you, IMDB Journey. Thank you very much for that, mate. From Flix X-Raid, Cool Runnings and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids wins my vote. From Collateral Cinema, I don't know, Mighty Ducks and Homewood Band are nice flicks, but come on, Cool Runnings, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the first Pirates film, Parent Trap remake. Those are primo. I completely agree. One here from Films Remembered Badly. Most lists with cool runnings in it will win me over. I can pretty much recite that whole film. And from Ghost of the Stratosphere, hard to vote against Homeward Bound, but I think you guys have it by a hair. One here from Coming Off the Reels Podcast. Sorry, IMDb Journey, but the Mighty Ducks will win me over every time. From Dial M for Movie Podcast, no one chose heavyweights, therefore no one gets a vote. Well, what is heavyweights? I don't know. From The Strangers says it's close, but IMDb Journey has Cool Runnings and Jungle Book. Blockbuster Mentality said tough choice for sure, but Movie with the Misses has two of the greatest sports movies, so I might have to give them the edge. Dare Daniel Podcast said this is all IMDb Journey. The Recasting Couch Podcast said I had to go a Movie with the Misses. If you did the original Parrot Trap instead of the awful remake, you would have taken it. Billy and Topher at We Watch a Thing said hard to give it to you guys after whooping us, but Dan and Dean have this one in the bag. And like we said, the Contrarians... Holy cow, this is basically about voting for whoever has the less shitty movies. <laughs> well, anyway, after 91 votes, 76% to us again. 76%. So, 
Sorry, TJ and Serenity. Yep. Better luck next time when we have you on. So we've recently been doing a bunch of Q&As where you ask the questions to us to answer, but we're going to spin it on its head from now on, and we're going to ask you the questions so that you can answer it and we'll be featured on the podcast. And the question we're going to ask this week is, what is your favorite film of 2018 so far in reference to last week's podcast where we gave ours? So I'll put that question up at some point during the week and you guys can answer it and we'll read them out on next week's show. All right. So as we alluded to at the start of the podcast, we're going to be doing a new bracket tournament coming up and this one is going to be on the best director of all time based off the IMDb top 250 list. So what we've got here is 32 directors ranked off the amount of movies they have on the list and any that have the same amount will get judged off their average of the movies. So let's just go through the list of the 32 directors who made the cut here. Number 32 is David Lean with his Bridge Over River Kwai and Lawrence of Arabia. Next up is Orson Welles with Citizen Kane and Touch of Evil. Andrew Stanton is next with Wally and Finding Nemo. Fritz Lang with M and Metropolis. Roman Polanski with The Pianist and Chinatown. Milos Forman with One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest and Amadeus. Sidney Lumet with 12 Angry Men and Network. Robert Zemeckis with Forrest Gump and Back to the Future. Frank Darabont for Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile. In the 23rd spot is Joel and Ethan Cohen with The Big Lebowski, Fargo and No Country for All Men. Up next is Denis Villeneuve with Insondees, Prisoners and Blade Runner 2049. Ingmar Bergman is next with The Seventh Seal, Wild Strawberries and Persona. Clint Eastwood is in the next seed with Unforgiven, Grant Torino and Million Dollar Baby. Up next is Pete Doctor for Up, Inside Out and Monsters, Inc., followed closely by Lee Uncridge with Toy Story 3, Finding Nemo, and Monsters, Inc. <laughs> Frank Capra is next with It's a Wonderful Life, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and It Happened One Night. Next up is James Cameron for Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Aliens, and The Terminator. Ridley Scott is next with Gladiator, Alien, and Blade Runner. David Finch is next with Fight Club 7 and Gone Girl. In the 13th spot is Peter Jackson for his Lord of the Rings trilogy. Number 12 is Francis Ford Coppola for The Godfather, The Godfather Part 2, and Apocalypse Now. Number 11 is Sergio Leone for Once Upon a Time in America, Once Upon a Time in the West for A Few Dollars More, and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Hayao Miyazaki is up next with Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, My Neighbor Totoro, How's Moving Castle, and Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. This is where we're getting into the big directors with all their movies. Next up in the number nine spot is Akira Kurosawa with Seven Samurai, Rashomon, Yojimbo, Ikaru, and Ran. Number eight is Billy Wilder with Sunset Boulevard, Witness for the Prosecution, Double Indemnity, The Apartment, and Some Like It Hot. Number seven is Charles Chaplin with City Lights, Modern Times, The Great Dictator, The Kid, and The Gold Rush. Hitting the number six seed is Quentin Tarantino with Pulp Fiction, Django Unchained, Reservoir Dogs, Inglorious Bastards, and Kill Bill Volume 1. In the number five spot is Alfred Hitchcock with Psycho, Rear Window, North by Northwest, Vertigo, Rebecca, and Dial M for Murder. And into the top four is Stanley Kubrick for The Shining, Paz of Glory, Doctor Strangelove, A Clockwork Orange, Full Metal Jacket, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and Barry Lyndon. Man, that's a lot of movies. <laughs> number three is Martin Scorsese with Goodfellas, The Departed, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Casino, The Wolf of Wall Street, and Shutter Island. And in our second spot is Spielberg with Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Last Crusade, Jurassic Park, Jaws, and Catch Me If You Can. And number one is Christopher Nolan with The Dark Knight, Inception, Interstellar, Memento, The Prestige, The Dark Knight Rises, and Batman Begins. So those are our 32 directors. So for this week, we're going to put up four brackets, and they are going to be James Cameron versus Frank Capra, Akira Kurosawa versus Frank Darabont, Peter Jackson versus Clint Eastwood, and Francis Ford Coppola versus Ingmar Bergman. So we'll put those up about 24 hours after this podcast is released, 
and you can go ahead and vote for who is the best directors out of those four matches. Nice. Sounds like a uh, big task. Should have some interesting results. Yeah. And what we're going to do on the side here is we're going to have our little bet, as we usually do. We're going to fill out our entire bracket ourselves, and whoever gets the most correct along the way here will win the bet, and we'll get to give out three movies for the other one to watch in two weeks. Yeah, it should be fun. Can't wait to give you three more movies to watch. <laughs> you haven't given me a movie to watch in a long time, mate. You're going to eat those words. So, what's next? So now we're going to find out what movie we're doing our next breakdown on in a fortnight. Hendo, hit that random number generator. What have we got? Okay, number 225. Oh, this could be bad. Nice! All right, the 225 movie is Donnie Darko. Interesting. I have not seen that in a very long time. Really? It's going to be good. Have you seen it once? Yeah. Oh, you're in for a treat. It's going to be a good one. All right, so we'll get to Donnie Darko in a fortnight. But for next week, we'll be back with our Pod V Pod with another special guest, and we'll be talking about what else we've been watching for the last fortnight, I guess. Dean, what movies will you be including on that coming up? I know you've got Fallout on there. Yeah, uh, also we're talking about First Reformed. Okay, I'll be watching that this week, so I'll be catching up with that. I did see Hot Summer Nights, so I'll be talking about that. I also watched The Rider as well, so those were one of the two that I wanted to watch. Next week will be Foxtrot, so... Sure, sure. <laughs> but until then, that's going to do it. So we will see you next week. Take it easy. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.